Welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. I'm a medical oncologist and I specialize in treating women with breast and gynecologic cancers. I started this podcast as a way to share the stories and journeys of women who are living with cancer or who have faced cancer in the past. I find that we really don't talk a lot about the effect that cancer has on body image, on relationships, on life in general, because we're so focused on addressing the physical symptoms during treatment. Every week, I bring you inspiring stories of women who have been affected by cancer in any way and how they're living life despite that. Today, my guest is Sarah Scalacci. She is a high school English teacher and a runner, and she was diagnosed with Hodgkin lymphoma at the age of 34. She shares her story about her diagnosis, what her treatment looked like, how she got through chemotherapy and radiation. She talks a lot about how cancer treatment affected her running and how it affected her identity and her relationships. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for joining me. Can you start by introducing yourself? Um, yeah, my name is Sarah Scalacci. I am a high school English teacher. I work in Wayne, New Jersey. I live in Jersey City, so that's a long commute. And I've been living here I, almost my whole life. Is there any grade that you teach? I teach 11th grade, all 11th grade, all day, which is fun. Although sometimes it just feels like I'm telling 17-year-olds when they can go to the bathroom or not. But yeah, I teach all levels um, up to honors. It's a thing. It's a lot of work. It's fun. I, I bet. Can you talk a little bit about your cancer diagnosis? Um, yeah, it actually started off very strangely. Um, I had I had been training for the Boston Marathon um, pretty aggressively and about a month and a half out from it, so the beginning of March, right over my birthday, I started getting this like really horrible, um, basically like nerve pain in my ankle, um, which as of now, I don't even know if it was related, but it would come on at night and it would keep me up all night and it was really terrible. So that went on for about a month until nerves were frayed and I had no idea what was going on. Um... Again, until the till the very beginning of April, and um, at that point, I had stopped training for the marathon, and I was just trying to figure out what was wrong with my body. And I went out with a friend to get a drink, and within about two sips of this glass of white wine, uh, my neck swelled up out of nowhere. Um, it was the right side of my neck, which was the same side that my ankle had been hurting on. And at this point, I was like, what is wrong with me? So I called my mom and she said, go to the emergency room. So I did. And I met her there. And finally, I had gotten a CT scan. And after many hours of waiting, the emergency room doctor came in and said, um, okay, so uh, you should probably see a hematologist because you might have lymphoma. It was like after midnight. So we went to Wendy's and kind of processed that. <laughs> so I made the appointment and got a biopsy. And on finally a stupid marathon day, I went in for my appointment and it was Monday, I guess afternoon or late morning. And I was told I had a uh, stage... 2A, or we didn't know the stage at that point, but I had Hodgkin lymphoma. 
you're going from training for the Boston Marathon mm-hmm. to not training, saying, okay, what is wrong with me? Probably not expecting this at all. Mm-hmm. And what is the shift in your mental state at that point? Very odd. I mean, <laughs> at one point when I was having when I was having the pain, at some point I said to my boss, I said, well, what if it's cancer? And she said, you don't have cancer. Don't be ridiculous. There, I think it was a little bit of a, I told you so. Um, but it was really, it was, it was just shocking. It's still shocking to me. Um, just, I felt like I was literally doing everything right with my health and with my body. I had even been, you know, eating fewer chips. Like I was being really serious with my training And then suddenly it felt like everything that you've been doing has been for naught. And now you're going to get all these, you know, chemicals pumped into your body. How did you go from being told that you have this diagnosis, kind of Mm -hmm. going through everything? What were the next steps? So after I got the diagnosis, I had to go in for the staging, which involved, um, Another another CT scan this time with the with the contrast or with the the drink beforehand and then a PET scan. So I went in. I remember having to fast beforehand, but still getting up really early and going for my run before then because I was still trying to train. Yeah. So we I went in for the scan and they finally staged me at two A, which I was told is very very good news. And at this point, I said, "Wow, our definition of good news has definitely shifted." At this point, I kept on being said, "Like this is good, everything is great." And I said, "What? Like, like, hello, you're talking to a civilian here." Um, and now, of course, looking back, I'm thinking, like, well, actually, it really, in you know, hindsight, um, yeah, but, but. but but back then, um, I was just like, what, what is going on? I started fertility treatments before starting chemo and that went super rapidly, um, to harvest the eggs. It was like, I had my eggs harvested on a Tuesday and I started chemo on a Thursday, which I did not think was enough recovery time. Um, and yeah, it just felt like it felt like everything was going really, really, really quickly um, after that. Can you talk, before we talk about the treatment for the lymphoma, can you talk a little bit more about the fertility process and the egg harvesting and what that entailed? Yes. Um, so that involved uh, going in for initial blood work, and then they basically take blood work and determine when you're going to start a certain number of um, injections in your stomach uh, based on when you start your period. And I guess, fortunately, my period was about to start, although they did say that the process is rather sped up for cancer patients, which is good. So every every night, I would give myself an injection in, in my abdomen, um, which was horrifying. Um, <laughs> Like I kept on saying, like, I think this is going to be worse than the chemo. And then, (laughs) no. (laughs) Well, what was worse actually was that they told me that, that my ovaries would grow. And at some point I would have to start exercise or stop exercising rather, uh, because there was a chance of ovarian torsion. Um, and I, I guess I didn't want that too. So I did the injections and after about 10 or 11 days of that, I had 
created enough eggs to be harvested. I actually went in a bit early. They said we could have kept growing them for another day or two, but I was rather anxious to get it all over with. Um, so I went in to have them harvested. And as I was walking into the procedure room, kind of thought like, this is a really undignified procedure. So I'm really happy. I'll be unconscious for it. Um, and we were able to get, I think, 13 eggs. It was very odd for me to like, think about my fertility at the time, because I don't know, like, I was always kind of like, yeah, like, I'm sure I do want kids mm, eventually. And then it kind of became like a, okay, well, are you going to get them out? And are you going to have them fertilized? And that was a conversation to have with my boyfriend. Um, but, but I'm glad I did it. They're there. I think that's a really important point, right? Cause you're not thinking about having children at that moment and then you get diagnosed and not only do you have to deal with the diagnosis, there's, you have to now deal with the repercussions of, you have to make this decision in almost like 24 hours about what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was actually interesting the way they, they kind of sprang it on me. Um, I was sitting, you know, in the diagnosis room and they said, well, here are three, you know, phone calls you need to make. You need to schedule a PET scan. You need to schedule a heart test and you need to call the fertility center. And I was like, what? <laughs> like you just gave me this really terrible news. And now I have to think about babies too. I mean, I'm glad that they're there. It's not like, you know, I'm 30, I was 34 then. So I was certainly taking my time to decide if I wanted kids and, um, and they're charging me every year for it. So I feel like I should, I should like really make up my mind. Um, but yeah, it was, it's definitely like way more than I wanted to think about at, at any given point, at any point in time. But it was an experience. That's, yeah. Do you have any advice for people who are in a relationship, who get diagnosed with cancer, and kind of how do you broach that subject with your significant other? I mean, I think you start having a lot of really direct conversations with your partner at that point. Um, to me, to me, I wanted to feel like I was really in control, and I said, I'm going to do this and you let me know what your opinion is, but it doesn't really matter to me what you say. I mean, I think you need to start the conversations about your body really early on because a lot of other things are going to start happening. And um, if you can't be forthright, then it's going to be hard to talk about when you're, when you're in pain or when you're uncomfortable later. And so you went for the fertility that happened. What was the next step? So... Um, I got the fertility. Um, I got the extraction. I went home for a day. I went to work the next day, which was a terrible idea because I felt awful. And then, so that was a Wednesday. And then Thursday I went in for chemo. Um, and I had two, got two rounds of ABVD, which is four infusions, um, every two weeks. How was the chemo? It sucked. (laughs) It was so bad. Um, and again, again, now that I've learned a lot more about cancer treatment, because I knew nothing before, like my grandfather had colon cancer. That was it. I knew nothing. Um, <laughs> I kind of want to go back and like smack myself and stop myself from some complaining so much because um, I, I complained so much. I complained every day. Um, but it was it was rough. The f- first infusion I um right when we were like almost done with all of the drugs, I like I think I was cold or nervous and I started shaking. So they gave me this narcotic that like 
completely put me out. And I was so nauseated. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, if it's going to be like this, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Um, and my friend was there, but then my mom had to come pick me up. And I remember saying like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then I got pretty nauseous after, after the first one. It was interesting because each of the infusions was different. Um, I had different reactions. I imagine, I don't know what would happen if I had had more. Um, but again, I felt sort of just crappy after each of them. And then after the third one, my hair started falling out. And that was so, so sad. Oh, my God. I was a mess. I was terrible to be around. <laughs> um, yeah. And then eventually I started getting like these mouth pains, but I, I don't quite know what that was about. I never had mouth sores, but it kind of just felt like I had an achy mouth. But I was lucky. I only had, I only had to have four infusions. Um, again, hindsight it was very fortunate. Two questions. One, did yes. you run <laughs> or did you work out? Did you stay active during chemotherapy? Because I find that people who are active beforehand, they tend to do okay with chemo and they tend to try to stay active during the process. So that's a funny question because so I stopped because I was like, I don't want to twist my ovaries upside down, which by the way, I've learned is very uncommon. I think they just scared me. So I didn't run until I had a, a follow-up with the um, reproductive endocrinologist. And she was like, your ovaries are fine. Go for a run. So I was like, great. And I'd been like writing the elliptical in the meantime. Um, so this is probably after the first infusion. And I went out for a run. And this is going to be, <laughs> um, I guess, advice for all my other like overzealous runners out there that if you run and you, after taking a long period of time off, there's a chance for an overuse injury, which is exactly what happened to me. Um, so I went for a run one day and I was like, ooh, I'm out of shape. Like I probably wasn't out of shape. Like I probably just had had chemo and was being hard on myself. And then I ran for the next day, uh, right after that which was a big mistake. And I immediately got um, IT band syndrome, which is like pain in your outer knee. <laughs> it's, it's like so pain and you just can't run through it. I had to take like a month off. And I was like, are you serious? Like first cancer and now a running injury? Um, oh, I, was, I was furious at myself. It was my fault. No, that's awful. I mean, that's like the worst thing you could say to a runner. But how does that affect your like perception of who you are, right? So and I, mm -hmm. I've run marathons. Everyone knows the marathon runners are crazy. And yeah. when you're training, that's like your life in that moment. So to go from training to nothing and, and chemo, how did that affect your kind of sense of self, your body image, all of that? Um, It has been a process. It's been a process like even up until like now. Um. I mean, before, before I was diagnosed, I definitely was like, I'm Sarah, I teach English, I like pizza, and I'm a runner. And that was, that was it. And I think, you know, with every running injury, you, you get really down on yourself. You're like, I'm not going to check Strava. I'm not going to, um, you know, see how other people did in their races. Um, and, and I really hated that that was coming at the same time that that I was sick because I kind of felt like it took away my identity as a runner and like further defined me as like a cancer patient, which is not how I saw myself um, or I wanted to see myself. And 
this is super vain and I feel terrible. And, but I was like, once I figured, I realized I was going to lose my hair. I was like, I do not want to be bald and gain weight. And when I told people this, they, they were like, Sarah, you are truly twisted. And I'm like, I don't care. Um, so I went to the gym. So I made sure that I washed my hands and I started lifting a lot of weights. I kind of replaced you know, the runner identity, at least for a little bit, as like, uh, I can do six pull-ups, whatever. But I I finally was able to start running. I like got over the IT band syndrome probably after the the third treatment. And, um, and I was so slow. I, it was it was bad. I, for like obvious reasons, right? Because like, um, I hadn't been running. And, um, and I had chemotherapy, which I kept on forgetting. I kept on being like, you're out of shape, you're out of shape. And I, I tried to be kind to myself, which is a problem I've had with my running for my whole life. I was like, you're going to run for five minutes and then you can stop and check Twitter on your phone or something. Um, and, and it was a slow process, but by the end I was back to running like five, six, seven miles with a hat on because I had no hair. <laughs> now, so after, well, actually, hold on. Let's back up for one second. We'll talk about the running in a minute. Did you work during chemo? Because you have a physical, you know, you're up on your feet all day. You're interacting with children, not children, you know, teenagers. <laughs> I'm sure they behave like children sometimes, but that's not an easy <laughs> job. No, it wasn't. Um, and it was actually probably the most difficult during um, during the egg retrieval because you have to go in for morning monitoring at like 7 a.m. or 6.30. And classes start at 7.20 in my school, which is really early. So I was missing, I was missing first period a lot. Um, but I did, except for that, I kept on working and I think put on a pretty good act. I mean, I thought I did by the end, the students were like, we knew something was going on, but we didn't want to ask. I had a lot of support from my coworkers. Um, one of my colleagues, her daughter had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma a number of years ago. So she was a good resource and kind of understood what was going on. But I had a combination of people who really had my back at work. Um, I had students who were nice and didn't give me a hard time for the most part. I didn't have one class. I it was so bad. And I wanted to yell like, are you kidding me? Like, you're being so rude and I have cancer, um, which would have been really mean. So I didn't say that. Some tough love from my supervisor, who at some point saw me crying in my office, and she said, "Well, you know what you really need to do? You need to plan some lessons. Um, that'll make you feel better." But I honestly, I think being in such relatively good physical shape beforehand um, kept me really strong throughout the treatment, which let me keep on working, which was good because I didn't want to sit at home and feel sad for myself. I think that's really important, right? Kind of keeping up with what your routine is, that really helps. Did you tell the students and your coworkers that you were going to do chemotherapy or did they kind of just find out as it was happening? Oh, well, my coworkers, <laughs> I told everyone. I'm really bad at keeping secrets. I'm like, like I, I sort of had this thing where like, if I'm going to deal with this, I'm at least going to shock you with my news. Uh, so yeah, I told, I told my coworkers at least in the, in my department. And they were like, very nice and very understanding. Um, and at the end, right before I knew I was going to have to like, shave my head, I kind of dropped it in at the end of, of class. I was like, okay, um, study for your final. 
Also, uh, I'm losing my hair, so I'm gonna shave my head. I'll see you on Monday. <laughs> and, and they were like, okay, <laughs> like we don't ever know what to say. And yeah, so that, that happened. Well, yeah, they're in 11th grade, right? Like, what? Are, yeah. they, they don't know. Yeah, and they're like, oh, like, I mean, how much did you ever think really about your teachers when you were in high school? Like, not that much. It was, it sort of faded into the, at least I'm, I think it's faded into the background. They, Of course. I mean, it's like when you see your teacher out, you're like, wait, they have a life? They have a life? What? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, oh, like, not, not a student, not a teacher. Yeah. Let's just pretend we don't see each other in the grocery store. <laughs> So after chemo came radiation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had about a month and a half break. Um, the doctor said, you need to have your body recover. And at this point, it was summer. I wasn't working. I was sleeping all the time. I was like 10. I'm like, I feel great. Let's start radiation right away. Um, but he said to wait. So we waited. Um, and I went in for 10 treatments of... Um, just radiation, I guess, to my my chest and my neck, where the um, where the tumors were. And what happened after that? Um, after that, I went back to work, <laughs> and a couple of follow up appointments. I had a scan in February um, that was clear, thank God. Um, but yeah, after the summer treatment, it was just like over, and I had had to stop saying like, oh, I can't wash the dishes. I have cancer. <laughs> that like no longer became a valid excuse for getting out of things. What has life looked like after treatment? It's been odd. Um, I mean, it, honestly, it's looked a lot the same, um, right? Like I'm going back to work. I've now learned how to style short hair. I've slowly kind of gotten back into serious training for running. Um, but sometimes I just get very sad. Like, like, I always thought that my response to cancer would be, like, anger. Like, anger is a, an emotion I'm very comfortable with. Um, and I was not prepared to just feel just really down and sad about it. Um, and then it had to happen. But my health so far has been good. And it's it it feels sort of unfair that it's returned to normal. Like, I still feel like there should be some, I don't know, a special dispensation for my suffering. Um, but just the same old. Physically and mentally, do you feel different? Do you feel back to who you were before you were diagnosed? Physically, so I had lost a lot of weight during treatment, which was um, like cool in a bathing suit, but also scary for everyone who saw me. Um, and I'm back to my normal weight. I'm back to training. I'm back to getting up at like 5 a.m. to go to work. It, it's, it seems like it shouldn't be that way. It seems like, I don't know, like I, I, there should be some lingering effects, but there really isn't so far, I guess, I hope. Um, mentally, I think, I think there's more fear in my life. Um, you know, I, before I was like, whatever, nothing's going to happen. Like my greatest fear was honestly dying in an airplane crash, which is very unlikely. And, and now I, um, you know, sometimes I will go on to like the Hodgkin's lymphoma tag on Instagram, which is a terrible idea, by the way, and see all these people who have had recurrences of the disease, um, and who have had to undergo stem cell transplants. And that is super terrifying for me. And, um, 
I guess it's good to know that there, there's like other people going through it. But at the same time, I, I think sometimes I catastrophize and think of worst case scenarios and it's pretty scary. Because you're faced with your mortality at a really young age. That's, yeah. That's normal. It's normal to feel that way. I, and I, I think, you know, I, I never worried that I was going to die. Um, and I think that's good. I, you know, like everything said, like, you're, you're going to be okay. The worst is that it's going to be kind of a, a crummy six months. Um, but when I think about secondary cancers or, or Hodgkin's coming back, I kind of think about like, oh my God, this could be like a long period of my life that's affected. Um, and I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that it won't be, but definitely the, I don't know what you want to call it, fear, paranoia is still there. And how did the treatment affect, and how did the diagnosis affect your relationships with your boyfriends, your family, your friends? Oh, um, so... <laughs> So I'm very close to my parents. Um, I still like go home once a week and do laundry at my parents' house. And I, I'm an only child too. So I was, I was very, <laughs> I wanted them to be nice to me and feel bad for me while also like not showing any sort of emotion <laughs> about it. I think I, after the diagnosis, I sent a text to my father. I was like, it's Hodgkin's. I will call you. Don't call me. And he, of course, immediately called. And I was like, I'm in with a doctor. I cannot talk to you. I kept my I kept my parents at kind of at arm's length. It was really important for me to be tough and kind of like go it alone in a way. Um, I didn't want to see them sad. So I, I don't know. They were pretty cool about kind of letting me do my own thing with the treatment and helping me if I needed help. Um, with my boyfriend... I kept, I kept on thinking, like, isn't it the hard times that bring us closer? Because right now it just feels like we're fighting all the time. Um, so that was really tough. Um, he was also in a professional position that was not great. So he was stressed out with his job. And also he would come home and I would be like, I'm going bald and you're not being, you know, whatever to me. It put a lot of stress on us. Um, and now I think we can look back and kind of laugh at it or I laugh at it. And he's like, that was terrible. <laughs> I was never worried about like us breaking up or whatever. Um, but it just, it stunk um, at times. How did you get through it? In terms um, of, you know, you're fighting all the time. That's obviously a huge strain and stress on the relationship. How do you kind of come out on the other side of it? I think we both kind of had our eye on the prize that that there was an endpoint in treatment. Um, the doctors were very confident that it would only be for, for treatments of chemo, which was really the awful part. Like radiation was a breeze, loved radiation. And to be perfectly honest, um, the end of treatment also coincided with summer vacation for me. And you're always in a better mood when you're on summer <laughs> on vacation. Um, and, and I think we were both like, just get through these treatments and I won't have to go to work and just grit your teeth through it. Um, also, I think after we shaved my head, which he did, which he was like, I did not expect this when I signed up for OkCupid that many years ago. <laughs> um, it was kind 
it was kind of like, ugh, like the part we were all dreading is now over. And I was like, oh, okay, like I don't actually mind this. Um, yeah, I think getting getting the hair out of the way, let me just focus on how I was feeling, which was not not as bad as I could have. And it was so, almost like a sigh of relief for both of us. Do you have any tips or advice about how to keep the, the romance, the spark <laughs> in your relationship during chemo, right? Because you feel terrible, you're tired, yeah. you're blah. Like, what kept you guys going? I think we're really good at communicating. Um, I, I'm really good at communicating. I'm a talker. I think, as I said before, like being super forthright about, about your needs and desires. I will say, I don't think there was a ton of romance. <laughs> um, like, he would be like, oh, come over here. And I'm like, don't touch my hair. It's all going to fall out. Um, I mean, we, but we tried to, you know, when I was feeling good, like go out to pizza and go out to ice cream and go on a hike. And it was, it was good because I was feeling good. And we kind of took advantage of the days that I was like in a good mood and feeling great. Had fun those days, which made it a little easier for when I was like, I'm just going to lie on the couch. Have you made any changes in your life after diagnosis and treatment? Nope. <laughs> um, I keep on, I kept up, you know, prior to talking to you, I kept on thinking, um, you know, how has this really changed me? And, and it's embarrassing in a way that it hasn't. Uh. <laughs> I, I don't think, I, I don't think it has to change you, right? So for some people, it is a big life-changing event, but it doesn't have to be. And some people do make, you know, they, they, they're going to start getting healthier or they become yeah. vegan or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. but there's no rule that says it has to be this big thing. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you said that because as I, I you know, I'm, I've actually never eaten meat. I've been a vegetarian my entire life. I, you know, I drank seldom. I exercised well, and then I got cancer and I'm like, well, maybe I should start, you know, like drinking more and eating fewer salads or something. Um, But of course, that's not going to make me feel good. Help me reach my goals athletically. So I kind of went back to everything that I was doing because I was pretty happy. I did start saving more money. (laughs) I I don't know if that was a because the cancer. I was like, ugh, like I'm never going to own property if I keep on buying Starbucks every day. Um, But... But I was actually not able to work that summer because of uh, chemo and radiation. So I lost out on that income. So I actually did get serious about putting more money into savings. That is a big change, a good change, right? (laughs) Everyone can probably do with less Starbucks. I certainly can. What about friendships? Some people, when their friend who is young is diagnosed, they don't necessarily know how to deal with that. And some people embrace it and other people kind of don't. So what was your experience with that? Um, I will say my friend showed up in a huge way, um, a way, honestly, I never could have imagined. Um, I had friends at every infusion. Um, they took the train in from Brooklyn, uh, to sit with me, you know, for whatever, two and a half, three, four hours. Um, I had a friend come in from Connecticut. She took like Metro North to, hang out with me. Um, yeah. So I had friends come in from 
from all parts to to be with me and they they were there to talk about you know my sickness if I wanted to or they were there to just gossip um if I didn't feel like talking um I almost without exception all I felt was like this enormous amount of support and that like made me feel better about being pretty public and telling people in like my network that I was sick because all all I got were like messages of support um which which really help like it sounds cheesy but people being like I'm thinking of you or I'm praying for you and I'm not even religious but it was amazing for someone who's newly diagnosed if people say to you or did people say to you what can I do to help what did you tell them well you know honestly nothing because that's not a very useful question to ask I mean what can I do to <laughs> because you know, it's like when you're going to a party, it's like, what can I bring? It's like, I don't know. Like, don't make me think of something you have to bring to the party. Um, I did, you know, I, the greatest supports were from people who were like, I'm sending you a gift certificate for, you know, the bookstore and for ice cream or the coworkers were like, I'll do your first period class. No problem. Kind of just stepped up and offered support. Like, what can I do? Like, I don't know, man. Like, don't make me think of something for you to do. That's so true. Okay, so now flipping it, as a person who has gone through chemotherapy, what did you find most helpful? Like, what gifts or things were really good? Okay, so I had some running friends, actually, who put together an amazing care package, and it involved, like, this gigantic pack of, um, like, flavor ice. Like, <laughs> I guess because of like mouth sores, I never really had it or never, it was actually not useful for mouth sores. It kind of irritated uh, it, but it was summer and I like didn't have a big appetite. So I was just like sucking down these frozen flavor ices. Um, books, got a ton of books, which I love reading. I'm an English teacher. So that was good. I, I had a friend from Seattle who sent a plate of brownies. <laughs> um <laughs> And he like did indicate, he's like, even though these come from Washington state, they are normal brownies. So I brought them into work and like, it almost, honest to goodness, it almost didn't matter what I got, but I guess my address was out there and getting little things in the mail when I was coming home from work and feeling super run down that, you know, random person X from high school was thinking about me. It like gave me energy. That's awesome. Is there any advice that you would give to someone who's newly diagnosed or anything that you want to share that we didn't talk about? I would say, I think it's okay to feel all your feelings, whether it's upset or sad or whatever. Um, I also think, like everyone told me, stay off the internet, like don't go on the internet and like definitely don't go Googling symptoms and everything and like treatment. But I think... Instagram and some like pages have just experiences of other people out there. Um, and you can see like, I'm not the only young person who has ever had my disease because I felt very alone and very like, like everyone always had a friend who had cancer, but it was never them. And I'm like, well, now I'm your friend. So finding, just seeing people with other experiences, however it may be, was helpful. That's really, that's really helpful. What's next on the training agenda? So I finally finished my, like going back to running, I finished like my last training cycle. 
Um, I'm running the New Jersey Half Marathon on Sunday. <laughs> is it is it this Sunday? It's this Sunday. I somehow conned them into giving me like an elite bib. Oh, so I, I love that. I love that race. I did it a couple of years ago. It's so fun. Yeah. Um, my training has like not been great, but uh, we'll see. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And I think it's going to be really helpful for people. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a nice weekend. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Sarah. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope you continue to tune in every week as I share the stories of these incredible women who have been affected by cancer in some way. For more cancer news as well as podcast news and updates, please follow me on Twitter at Dr. Doplinsky and on Instagram at Dr. Doplinsky as well. If you are loving the show, and I hope you are, please take a moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts as that is the best way for me to grow the show and bring it to more listeners, which is really my goal. I hope you guys have a great weekend and I will see you all next week.